0: On today's Truth Factor discussion, we're going to be considering Acts chapter 22, and we're going to see Paul's defense as he is brought before King Agrippa. We thank you so much for joining us for our study today. If you are watching this at a later time, thank you as well for your interest. If you'd like to participate in today's study, I'll share with you how you can do that. It's quite simple. Wrong button. Not that way. There we go. What you can do is you can contact us via social media. If you're watching this on our YouTube page, which is at YouTube.com TruthFactorLive slash live, you can comment in the comment area there. You can also follow us or watch us at Facebook.com TruthFactorLive as well. And if you're watching us, use that uh, chat area there, Facebook comments to participate in today's study. We do share our stream on live.truthfactor.com. You can watch us there if you would like. Um, And there is an area there where you can drop comments. But really the two, Facebook and YouTube, the two social media platforms, work better for us in monitoring them. And my camera went dark. I'll have to figure out why that is. So uh, I will go ahead and throw the study then over to um, Shelton while I get this all figured out.
1: All right. Thanks, John. Uh, Yes, we are in Acts chapter 22 today. We finished up Acts chapter 21 last week, and so we're just going to jump right into the next chapter here. And uh, we'll read about Luke's account of Paul's defense, and we'll read also about Paul's account of his conversion, which we see earlier in the book of Acts uh, stated in a little bit of a different way. So we'll bring that into our discussion this morning also. But let's go ahead and just jump right into it and get into verse 1. So if you would, Mike, could you read for
2: me verses 1 through 5? Happy to, Sheldon. Brandon, fathers, hear my defense before you not. And when I heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept more silent. And I am a Jew, born in Tarshish, Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. According to the strictness of our father's law. Hey Shelton, you may have story. to have
0: someone else to read it. Mike's bandwidth is breaking up pretty badly.
2: Right.
1: Okay. Uh, how about how about Tom? You want to try to read it for us? Uh.
3: Okay. No problem. Verses one through five. Okay. Uh, we read here, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now when they heard that he spoke to them in the hebrew language they kept all the more silent then he said i am indeed a jew born in tarsus of cilicia but brought up in the city at the feet of gamaliel taught according to the strictness of your father of our father's law and was zealous toward god as you all are today i persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering into prisons both men and women as also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to
1: Jerusalem to be punished. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Looks like Mike uh, left and came back, and he looks a lot more clear now, so hopefully that will have fixed that issue. Uh, before we get into our truth factor discussion on this section, let's go ahead and throw out our chat room question for the viewers watching. The chat room question for this section, these five verses here, says, Going back to the previous chapter, to whom is Paul giving this defense? So instead of doing a little bit of a review on my own, I figured I would help the viewers kind of get their minds situated on the chapter by going back to the last chapter and see who it is that Paul is referring to there in verse 1. Who is he giving his defense to in this section? All right, so let's get into our our truth factor discussion here. We see that Paul is giving this defense before who he calls brethren and fathers. He says that he's a Jew born in Tarsus uh, of Cilicia and brought up at the city at the feet of Gamaliel. And when he he goes into this in verse 2, there's an important part that he mentions here, and it says that he spoke to them in Hebrew. And because of the fact that he spoke to them in Hebrew— they kept all the more silent. So why do you think, and I'll throw this out to our, our panel here, what might have been the significance of Paul speaking Hebrew to the people? Why would that have got their attention?
2: Paul was a Jew, and uh, he, he, was, he was a born Jew. And to grab the attention of these Jews in Jerusalem with Hebrew language, showed that he was very intelligent about not only the Hebrew, but obviously then the Hebrew law that would calm them down.
1: That's exactly right. And that's what I was getting to. I think Paul here in the first part of his defense before the people, he is uh, establishing a common ground with them, kind of setting up a platform. Uh, to be able to speak. And and I think one of those things definitely would have been sp- starting out by speaking to them in the Hebrew language. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody, like you said, who would speak in the Hebrew language wouldn't probably have been very likely to blaspheme uh, what the Hebrew law taught. you know. And so they were more willing to hear him out, listen to what he had to say. Appreciate that, Mike. And then he goes on and he says that he was, like we said, m- uh, mentored or studied at the feet of a man named Gamaliel. And I think that this is, again, in the same, uh, having the same reason behind why he was mentioning that he was a Jew and speaking in Hebrew, kind of establishing that common ground. So, why would it have been something important for Paul to tell this Jewish crowd uh, that he studied at the feet of Gamaliel?
3: well uh as i understand it gamaliel was highly respected among the jews i mean uh we get clues of that earlier in the book of acts gamaliel is the one who calls for calm or reason uh when peter and john and the other apostles were arrested early on uh you know for preaching christ in the temple and so on and and, uh and and he made good observations there so i i mean uh there there's really nothing to question the integrity of of Gamaliel he seems to be somebody that was like that we we know of individuals who they just have uh, they just have the highest of character and respect and and uh, and honestly if you've got a conflict between two different groups when you're looking for a mediator the mediator needs to be somebody that is respected by both sides. And and it kind of seems that Gamaliel had that type of a disposition about him, that he could gain respect because of his knowledge and wisdom. And, and, and so just mentioning his name was enough to get the crowd's attention to at least consider it.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, that's exactly right. And we know later in the chapter, and we'll get into this without stepping on our own toes here. But later in the chapter, we know that the people really were listening to him uh, through the first part of what he had to say uh, very clearly. They were interested in what he had to say. I think a lot of that has to do with the way he set up his uh, his sermon or his defense, whatever you want to call it. He set that common ground. It's a good lesson for us to learn. You know, I think a lot of times when we go to teach somebody or we go to study with somebody, we want to just hop right into the argumental points. You know, we want to. Talk about how we disagree on this, and so let's jump into it and let's throw verses back and forth at each other. Uh, but that's not the way Paul did it. Paul established a common ground. He said, "You know, I I'm a Jew. I studied at the feet of Gamaliel. I'm speaking to you in Hebrew. Uh, we aren't that different, you know." And then they were able to then say, "You know what? Let's hear this guy out. Let's let's hear what he has to say and consider it." Uh, and they did that for the first part of what uh, Paul had to say. Until, of course, he hurts their feelings later on, and we'll get to that. But what was it that uh, Paul goes into talking about here with them? After he establishes that he's a Jew, what uh, story does Paul start to tell?
2: Well, he begins to show his uh, his conversion. Prior to that, he shows how interested in protecting the law of Moses he was. He had persecuted uh those of what he calls this way. Well, that's the church, and uh, interesting that that's capital W, so that it brings your attention to that way, uh, mm-hmm. in the, the way of Christ. But he persecuted these people, both men and women, even unto death. He had permission from the high priest to go into cities and bring in chains, those from Jerusalem back to Damascus or any place else and put them in prison or put them to death, he persecuted the church. In another place, Paul, in writing, says he wasted it, you know. So his his comments here was, you believe that you're zealous in upholding the law of Moses. Here's what I did to protect the law of Moses. And then at beginning verse 6, and we're not quite there yet, that's your next question. He says, I learned the hard way that wasn't what God wanted done. But he he does he defends what he did. Later he would also say that he did all this in all good conscience before God. So your statement, Shelton, that uh, that he's uh, putting himself on common ground is exactly the case here, even to the point of persecution.
1: That's right, Mike. Exactly. And and he does mention that he was zealous, you know, toward God the same way that these people were. Yeah. Uh, even though he was not doing what he was supposed to be, which we'll see in the next section. And and we've already seen in the book of Acts. Paul is, again, uh, just restating things that have already happened. Uh, this well, let's, is happening let, right Let's set the key
2: action. for your thought, uh, for your truth factor thought here. I'll not give it, but I'll set the key mm-hmm. for you. Paul was convinced he was exactly right while uh, defending the law of Moses these Jews in Jerusalem believe that they are exactly right to defend Moses and the law. Well, it's all right to stand convicted and convinced that you're right. What are you going to do when you're proven wrong?
1: Right. And that, that's exactly exactly the point that we're, we're looking to in this section. He was zealous toward God the same way they were. He's showing the people I was exactly the same person as you are right now. I was zealous about the old law, even to the point of persecuting the church. And he says that's the very reason he was on the road to Damascus in the first place, mm-hmm. was carrying letters of persecution to arrest those who were of the way, those who were Christians. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so the truth factor point for this section is that even though you know our hearts might be in the right place, even though we might be zealous, even though we might be, doing what we think is right in clean conscience, if our knowledge is not correct, and then therefore our zeal is directed in the wrong way, we can be wrong and there needs to be a change. And that's, that's what true. Paul is telling these people. You're zealous. You love God. You are trying to do what's right, but your knowledge is in the wrong place. And therefore you're directing that uh, that zeal. You're directing that passion in the wrong way. And uh, and you need to redirect it. And, and that's a good lesson for us today too. Make sure that we aren't so focused on our zeal for God that we lose track of the knowledge that he wants us to have that zeal for. Both are very necessary. One without the other is is just pointless. So let's go ahead and uh, return to the to the chat room. Do we have any answers there about, about who Paul is giving this defense to?
0: Yes. Gregor, um, the question was, going back to the previous chapter, to whom is paul giving his defense gregor says the jews in jerusalem he had been in the temple earlier
1: that's right yep that's right and uh, specifically it was a mob you know this was an angry mob uh, that he was talking to and so he kind of gets their attention and then they become all the more silent you know in the beginning of the chapter but he's right when he's talking to a jewish crowd he was in the temple earlier uh and and of course they probably would have known who Paul was. You know, they would have known him to be a persecutor of the church and and things of that way. So um, it wasn't that this is the first they've probably heard of this man named Saul. Uh, So, so yes, he's talking to that Jewish crowd there. So let's move on into our next section here, to verse 6. I'll go ahead and read this one myself, verse 6 through uh, verse 16 here. I'm out of the New King James. That's where we'll be studying out of this morning. It says, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. And he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you so that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. This is going to be our our most lengthy section of scripture we're going to go over this morning. But I believe it has quite a bit of. Uh, of meat in it for us to look at And for us to discuss Kind of the, the meat of the whole chapter here Let's go ahead and throw out our chat room Question so that they can uh, Go ahead and get started on Figuring that out it says why might Paul Have called the voice of the Lord or had called the voice Lord before knowing who it Was right that's what he says There uh, he says Who are you Lord so why Would he have said that why would he have called him Lord without knowing who he was? So let's go ahead and get into our, our truth factor discussion on this section. He's going to Damascus, of course, like he said in verse 5 there. He's going, uh, carrying these letters to persecute the church. And then what happened? You want to go ahead and describe what initially happened there, Tom? Sure. Um, we
3: find that as he's journeying there, there's a, as it says here, there's this great light from heaven that shines around, and a long story short, Paul is blinded. You know, he falls to the ground and, and he hears he hears the Lord speaking to him, why are you persecuting me? And uh, uh, and of course, that's where he responds, who are you, Lord? And I, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Uh, and so that's what happens to him on this occasion. He's blinded and, and he hears the Lord speak something in such a way that while those who were with him knew something was being said. They didn't know exactly what was being
1: said. That's right. And why might it have been there, if you want to answer this or throw it out to anybody else, why might it have been important that none of the people with Paul could have heard that voice, but Paul was the only one there that actually heard what the Lord was saying to him?
3: Well, uh, I think I think the message had to do with uh uh with Paul going to the Gentiles and so on and there and remember you got a hostile crowd here. You know, uh, uh uh Paul has hostile people with him or people that are hostile to Christianity. Uh what's to say uh that they would have been converted on this occasion like Paul was. So so there were just some things personally and direct, directed to Paul as opposed to everybody else. But, but, under, but we need to understand that they heard something. They just didn't hear the message, I believe. And Mike, now, and, uh, did you wanna say something?
2: At, at another place, Paul records that they, they heard a voice that saw no man. There's an echo going on. Um, it simply means that there was something audible that they couldn't understand. Uh, The Lord wasn't speaking to them, he was speaking to Paul. And so for Paul to respond, who art thou, Lord? He he may not have known, uh, but respected the voice. Or who art thou, Lord, knowing that it was a voice where no man was seen, and yet asking Paul, what are you doing? So Paul had a great respect for this voice. Had a great respect for the light that obviously blinded him. And yet, these men are affected by the same thing because that light evidently was tremendously bright. Something was audible, but they couldn't understand it. And somehow, some way, Paul convinced them take me into Damascus to the street called Straight. It's the only way they would have known where to take him. And so they did. And the next three days and three nights, Paul is found praying. This had an incredible effect upon Saul of Tarsus, and when Ananias comes to him, it had an incredible effect upon Ananias as well. In Acts chapter, uh, what is it? chapter eight, I believe. I'm trying to think where where this first takes place, where we first read about it. Chapter nine. Chapter yep. nine. Yep. He was he was a little reluctant to go to Paul. Uh, He heard many things about him, and the Lord says, you go. He's chosen vessel to me. So we find now two examples, one Ananias being a Christian, Saul of Tarsus not being a Christian, but both these souls being emphatically obedient to the voice. That's a good lesson for us to learn now. God speaks, we shut up and listen and obey.
1: That's a great answer, Mike. Great point there
0: on that. Hey, uh, and that's
1: kind of what, yes.
0: Let me jump in real quick. Um, the ESV mm-hmm. does render it a little bit differently in that it says, um, now those who are with me in verse 9 saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking. And the little bitty footnote, I don't know if you can see it on the screen there, or here with understanding would be another reading for that. Yeah. Just whatever that's worth there.
1: They couldn't interpret it, and that, that makes sense there okay yeah and then we kind of covered the next uh, few points on our outline here talking about how uh, they could not hear the voice one thing I wanted to mention or or couldn't understand the voice there being what here is talking about uh, and in verse 14 when Ananias is, is with Paul in this account and Paul's talking about that he says the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth uh, and so I, I believe that Ananias' point to Paul here Is that you were the one That he chose to hear this You were the one that he chose uh, To be his witness and, and things of that nature So it's right. it's uh, specifically Talking to Paul In this case directly the Lord To Paul but yes the others with him Of course were affected by
2: that great uh, Shelton as, as, a passing, as a passing note To this some years ago I was studying with a young man who said Why doesn't Christ convert us the same way that he did Saul of Tarsus, and get our attention by blinding us and all. And I reasoned with him that he essentially does that, just not physically. Our eyes are already blinded by sin, according to Paul to the Corinthians. And what God is doing is enlightening us. We just got to pay attention to it. That's right. The, the, the times of such miracles as this have long ago ended. By the same token, the effectiveness of God's voice has not ended. In Hebrews chapter 2, Paul said, We need to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we let them slip. Even the alien sinner needs to listen up and pay attention to these things. Very good point,
1: Mike. Very good point. So we're looking now at uh, Ananias. He says, to Saul, uh, that he's going to uh, arise and go into Damascus. Of course, he's blind, so the people with him have to carry him into Damascus or lead him to the street called Stray. Uh, but he says to the Lord, says to Paul or Saul at this point that he needs to go into Damascus, and there it will be told to him uh, what he must do, what uh, things are appointed for him to do. So once he goes in, we know that a man named Ananias comes and sees him. And in Acts chapter 9, we, we get a lot more information about uh, Ananias. And when he was sent to go to Paul, we see the account of the Lord talking to Ananias. And Ananias is a little bit fearful. It doesn't show that in Paul's account here in Acts chapter 22. But he tells, you know, he, he responds to the Lord by saying, I've heard about this man. You know, he's he's a devout persecutor of the church, you know. And, and Ananias kind of shows that maybe he doesn't want to go see a man like Paul. He he doesn't want to die. You know, he's kind of keeping his own safety in his in his hands here. But he goes and, and obeys the Lord. And it's a good thing that he did. You know, and it, it was a great thing that he comes and sees Saul of Tarsus. So he comes uh, and he's a devout man, according to the law, it says. And, and, uh, and he has a good testimony with the Jews there. So he came to Paul and he tells Paul what it is that he must do, that he's been chosen. He's going to be a witness, basically, that he is going to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ,
2: but there's something that has to happen there first. And what is that? He had to be first for the remission of his sins. So he said, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Those that believe that we can, quote, pray through, end quote, for the remission of our sins should, should heed this. Paul had been praying for three days and three nights. If the prayer alone had forgiven his sins, then why be baptized? If he was saved during that time, he still has these sins, because they can't go away till he is baptized and wash away your sins. So all Paul did for three days and for three nights was confess his errors, and beg God for whatever was contained in those prayers. We don't know, the prayers aren't recorded. But we do know that at the end of three days and three nights, He was commanded to be baptized. He says to King Agrippa later, I wasn't disobedient to that heavenly vision. So he rose, he was baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. And then the rest is, is, as we say, the rest of its history, he immediately starts serving God with the same zeal, the same love and affection with which he had had zealously served God in error. Now he's going to start serving God in righteousness. That's right. And the God that he was serving had not changed. His That's zeal exactly for right.
1: that God did not change. And we can exactly sometimes right. when people are in error, but we know that they, you know, or they put on a persona as though they love the Lord and they're going to do what he wants them to do no matter what. But then when we start to study scripture with them, or scripture starts to be presented to them in a way that disagrees uh, with the way they see it, then they kind of close an ear and that's exactly what the people here are going to do in this crowd eventually to paul they're going to hear something they don't agree with and that they don't like and then they're going to close their ear to them that shows the difference between somebody like that and somebody like paul who was willing to accept his wrongdoings and understand Mm -hmm. that he needed to change that was a man whose heart was right with god and i think that the lord knew that and that was one of the reasons why paul was chosen to be an apostle was because of his great zeal for god So that's an excellent excellent point there. And so we see in Acts chapter 9 that the baptism did take place there as well. But a lot of people want to argue when we look at Acts chapter 9 that that baptism was after Paul was already saved, and it was adding him uh, to the church. Yet his prayer and his acceptance of Jesus as his Lord and Savior would have been what saved Paul initially. But when we go to Acts chapter 22, that disproves it. When I was in college, I, I was, uh, had to attend. It was a mandatory attendance of uh, a chapel, and I had to do 15 hours of chapel a week. And so I was in there, and, and, and I would hear the, the different denominational speakers come, and they accepted all different denominations. So we heard a bunch of different beliefs from a bunch of different men. And uh, at the end of every single one of their sermons, the only thing they had in common was salvation. And they said, if you are ready to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, uh, stand up and raise your hand. Everybody else is sitting. Stand up and raise your hand and accept him as your Lord and Savior. And then you will be saved. And so I I kind of started to think every single single person except uh, us is teaching that salvation is done by standing up, raising your hand. And basically, it's just an acceptance that Jesus is your Lord. And that's what they say Paul did. He acknowledged him as the Lord. He prayed to him. He asked him for forgiveness. He's going to change. He's going to repent. But that's not what we see in Acts chapter 22. Even after, I think if any of us received a experience like Paul did on the road to Damascus, we would believe that Jesus was our Lord and Savior. And we would have accepted him as our Lord if, if we went through an experience, you know, quite as great as that. But yet, even with that belief and even with the prayer, like Mike mentioned, for three days straight, he still had sins that he needed to wash away, and it was done through baptism. And that's an excellent point for us. Even after belief, even after the acceptance, even after prayer, it was necessary for him to be baptized to have his sins removed and to be right with God. Exactly. So that's an excellent truth factor point for this. I, Tom, it looks like you had a thought there. You yeah, want to ask? Um-
3: Yeah, uh, and I'm glad you went through the details because I just got a couple of overall thoughts, you know, based on uh, why is what's recorded here different. Well, uh, excuse me, it's a different occasion. And being a different occasion, uh, Paul has a different audience with a different purpose in mind. So he's presenting different details on this occasion. Uh, And that's one of the points to give consideration to. Something else that comes to my mind, though, um, and I know Mike mentioned that Paul will, in chapter 26, retell this again. I just think it's interesting that Paul recounts his conversion over and over and over. I suspect that he did it more than three times. I, I, I suspect that this is probably how he quite frequently opened his sermons when he would go somewhere, especially dealing with the Jews, go to the synagogue because this is such an important event. Uh, And and he's explaining, this is why I've changed. This is what happened. So so we find here Paul's apologetic. Uh, And I don't mean by that he's saying he's sorry. I I mean his defense of what he believes. And and that's what he's doing on this occasion.
1: Yep, that's exactly right, Tom. And we see Paul a lot of times having to defend his apostleship. Uh, and, And this is definitely case on the road to Damascus that proved his apostleship you know and so that could also be one of the reasons why he presents it so many times but like you said again it was a very important event especially talking to a Jewish crowd saying this is the reason why I no longer persecute the church you know this is the reason why I'm no longer on the side of, of this of these Judaizing teachers yeah yeah and
3: and by the way the fact that each one of these accounts is different lends authenticity to them absolutely yeah yeah and and my my point in that is if somebody uses word for word every single time the same thing you can question the sincerity and authenticity of this is just something it's possible to say you know you just memorize this kind of a thing but the fact that it changes up helps us understand the authenticity of it of course yep
1: and every single account just matches up with one another exactly like the other one said. So
3: yes, right. no contradictions,
1: no contradictions, Just at all. more details. Yep, exactly. And those details are important, you know, instead of just getting hung up oh, yeah. on one of the accounts, let's get them all into the, you know, all into the picture and we'll have a good account of everything. All right. Let's go ahead and return to our, uh, our chat room question here about why Paul, uh, might have called the voice Lord before knowing who it was. Do we have any answers there?
0: We do. We have one from Gregor, and he says the following. Lord, being a title of respect, he was acknowledging that whom he was addressing was worthy of respect. Bright light to the point of blindness, I would be in awe.
1: Yep, that's exactly what I was getting at there. Thank you, Gregor. That's that's exactly the point I was making. The Lord there just simply being an absolute respect for the majesty and the power that was involved in in this light and this voice that he heard and mike touched on that a little bit talking about how you know he just had such great respect for that light and that voice understanding that it was um, far more powerful uh, than he was or that any man was all right so let's go ahead and, and move on there to our next section in verse 17 and it looks like Paul was able to uh, to join us finally. That's awesome to see Paul with us. So we'll let, we'll go ahead and let him set up. I'm not going to ask him to read just yet. <laughs> Get all of his stuff, stuff up there. So if anybody wants to go ahead and read 17 through 21, jump in and, and do it.
0: I can do that this time. 17 through 21? Yes. All right. He says, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and I saw him saying to me make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me so I said Lord they know that in every synagogue I am and beat those who believe on you and when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the robes of those who were killing him then he said to me depart for I will send you far, far from here to the Gentiles thanks John let's go ahead and get
1: our chat room question up for this section the chat room question I chose was why was it unwise for Paul to stay in Jerusalem to teach we know that the Lord instructs him to make haste and get out of Jerusalem very quickly so why would it have been unwise for him to stay there and 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 teach to the to the Christians there in Jerusalem all right so this section here gets into a little bit you know the lord is instructing him now on what he must do you know we we know that he told him to go into damascus and it will be told uh, which things were appointed for him to do one of those things of course was uh fulfilled by ananias coming to him and and having his sins washed away from him but then he gets further instruction from the lord on what he is to do and where he is to go and so He also kind of gets in in this section to his persecutions. And and this kind of gets to our chat room question about the reasons why it would have been unwise. But we'll go ahead and talk about that anyways. Does anybody want to kind of briefly explain uh, Paul's different persecutions that he uh, states here in this section?
2: Well, actually, uh, all that's going on here between 17 and 21 is the fact that Paul is now being warned, you've got to go where God wants you to go. He had made mention in his journey to Jerusalem that the Lord said there would be many things awaiting him there. He wasn't sure what all they were, but none of those moved him. He wasn't afraid of whatever persecutions and all might come. So when the Lord says to him, you make haste and get out of Jerusalem, uh, they won't receive your testimony concerning me. Paul didn't ask, them, what are they going to oppose? He just does what God says do. And he said, Lord, I know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And the blood of your martyr Stephen, when it was shed, I held the coats of them uh, that stoned him. Uh, but the Lord said, no, you depart and I'll send you far from here to the gentiles. Now Paul being a Jew that might have raised an eyebrow but you notice that Paul doesn't dispute this. Paul doesn't he, he's not upset about it. Of course it's already been to gentiles. He's explaining this to the Jews. And the Jews as soon as they hear it the very next verse explode. What self-respecting Jews going to go to a gentile? Like the coats of those that opposed this doctrine. You, you watched a man die that supported this doctrine. You yourself persecuted this doctrine. You may have been baptized in it, but why are you trying to convert us? They missed the point entirely because they were so stuck on supporting Moses and the law that had been abolished by being taken, well not abolished, taken out of the way, it's the right statement, and the cross they're so opposed to accepting that truth of Paul's conversion that when Paul says, in essence, whatever God tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. They're puzzled why God didn't tell them that. And certainly God wouldn't have told them, you go to Gentiles.
1: That's exactly right, Mike. You know, and it it's interesting that it's up until that very word that they were listening to him. You know, even through the uh, you know, even through the account of his uh, sal- his salvation, his conversion there on the road to Damascus, it seems that they were still interested in what he had to say, even when he was going through that. But, you know, this was something that was just too far for them. They couldn't mm-hmm. accept this no matter what he was trying to teach. They could not accept that he was going to go to the Gentiles. But Paul, of course, did persecute the church. He lists a couple examples there saying that he uh, beat those, you know, and imprisoned people. From synagogue to synagogue. He even held the coats of Stephen. And that's actually the first time that we hear of this. Well, and, and from Acts
2: called. chapter 9 to Acts chapter 22, undoubtedly there's been a few years transpire. Of course. But Paul hadn't forgotten it. And I wouldn't suppose that these in Jerusalem had forgotten that. Uh, the, the Sanhedrin to whom Stephen spoke was still in force at this time. And the Uh, the Judaizers had even gotten stronger by this time, trying to support circumcision among the Jews and, and questioning as to whether or not Gentiles even ought to be taught anything other than the law of Moses. Um, So uh, you've got several years transpiring here, but Paul's record stands on its own. Whatever God said, Paul did. That's that's exactly right. That's exactly right, Mike.
1: And, uh, and of course, you know this is the first time we see. Uh, you know, this is the first time we see Saul or Paul is in Acts chapter seven, at the stoning of Stephen. When when uh, they give their hands to the uh, to the man named Saul, or give their coats to the man named Saul, and he held them for him. So, you know, again, mm-hmm. historical accounts matching up to all of this happening, very very truthful, very uh, doesn't contradict itself in any way. And so, we know that he's persecuting the church, but Jesus is telling him to make haste to get out of there. So in verse 10, we know that he was waiting in Matthew uh, for what must be told to him uh, or for the things that were going to be told to him that he was appointed to do. So what is it that he's appointed to do? Overall, just a summary there.
3: Yeah, yeah Shelton, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, j- j- just real quick observation here. You know, when I'm reading this in verses 17 and so on, mm-hmm. I'm not so sure it's dealing with the present time that Paul is act on this occasion. What I think is happening here is I think that this is fairly early on after he was converted. And he, he's, he thinks that other people in Jerusalem are as, as open-minded as he was. And so he's going to go to them and he's going to say, oh, look, this is what's happened to me. This is the Lord. Everybody accept him. And the Lord warns him on that occasion, get out. Get out of the city, and because I I know it's in mind, you know the way it says it's a trance, and so it's the Lord speaking in 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 red, and it's from that that he reasons about. Oh, uh, they realize what I did, so they're going to see my sincerity, and uh, and he leaves immediately. And, and I think the significance of pointing that out is if we were dealing with this this uh, specific occasion where Paul is speaking now, uh. You've got to go up to the previous chapters where Paul has been warned by the Spirit, this is going to happen to you, and he doesn't say, get out. He just simply says, when you go, prepare for what's going to happen. Whereas this is a warning to get out. So I think this was early on by by the Lord. Now, what still applies is Paul mentions the word Gentile, and what I believe here is he's not done. You know, he's in the middle of his sermon, and he gets interrupted. And it ends there because he mentions the word Gentile. So that's right. just kind of my thoughts of what's happening in the overall
1: picture. Yeah, I appreciate that, Tom. That's that's a very good observation. I, I believe that you're exactly right. He's still very early on in his conversion uh, right here in, in verse in verse 17. I yeah, agree. what he's
3: describing. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes, well, he's he's still telling the story, and you're right. He does get cut off. You know, it's, it's not that he was done with his sermon and then they closed their ears the whole point was that they closed their ears uh when he mentioned that word he, yep. he was probably not done and we see paul in other places go a lot further with his story uh than this and he probably was planning to do the same thing here uh but but that's exactly right he was appointed to go to the gentiles uh and, and that was of course very very early on all right so let's return to our chat room question see if we have any
0: any answers for that we did the chat room question was why was it unwise for paul to stay in jerusalem to teach gregor replies with the following paul having been a jew who persecuted the christians and converted has two points the jews would consider him apostate and hate him and the christians may have feared him gentiles can accept him
1: yep that's a very good point yeah i like that and i I also want to take into consideration what Mike said. I hadn't until he, or not Mike, Tom, what he said. I hadn't until we started the study, so I appreciate it. But taking into account that this could have been Paul's enthusiasm um, for being converted and thinking that, you know, well, they're going to know what I did, and and so they're going to see my sincerity about this. But the Lord warns him that that's not a good idea, that he needs to get out of the city. All right, so let's go ahead and... uh, Move into our next section. We don't have a lot of time here, but it is our last section. So, verses 22 through verse 30. If anybody wants to read that, go ahead. If Paul, you want to join in on the study? Go ahead.
4: I'll be happy to. Uh, I had some things that prevented me from being here for the start, but I'd be happy to at least read the scripture and Acts 22, beginning at verse 22, through the end of the chapter. It says here, and they gave him audience unto this word, and they lifted up their voice and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out, uh, I'm reading out of a different translation. I'm sorry, let me click on the different one here. Uh, I'll go ahead and think of in verse 23. This is where Paul says, I, no, it went there. I should have just, <laughs> should have just stayed away. Uh, verse 23 says, Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and And threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, He went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid, after he found out that he was a Roman because he had bound him. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought, brought,
1: excuse me, brought Paul down and set him before them. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. All right, so we don't have too much time here to go over this section. There's a lot here that we that we could go over, but we'll briefly kind of go through it here. We understand that, uh, that the people got really mad at Paul for saying that he was going to go to the Gentiles. Mike talked on this a little bit, and it's exactly right. They shut their ears. They didn't want to hear it anymore, but it was more than that. They even thought that he was worthy to die for what he said. They They, they thought him as a blasphemer and and said he is not even fit to live so they tore their clothes they're very angry they're very upset and so of course the commander is going to get involved right now you have an angry mob uh and, and the commander's job would have been to make sure that this stuff doesn't develop into something worse uh, so the commander takes paul and he says that he is going to be ordered uh, to a scourging right and then the scourging is basically kind of a, it's, it's a beating you know they're going to beat him so that they so that he understands what he has done wrong so they bound him in these thongs or, or these leather straps is what they were and something had caused the commander to stop and, and it even caused him to be afraid earlier and, and what was it that paul mentioned to him that kind of got the commander thinking twice about beating paul or, or having him uh bound in these leather straps
3: yeah
1: is this the way you treat all romans <laughs> Exactly. He he says, I am a Roman citizen. You know, is this the way uh, that you that you treat a Roman and not just a Roman, but an uncondemned Roman? Yeah, Uh, yeah, I have not been condemned of any crime. Uh, I am just being accused. These people are just mad at me. Uh, And so, you know, that's basically right. Is it even lawful for you to scourge a Roman this way, especially when he's uncondemned? And when they heard that, uh, they said, you need to be careful with this guy. He's a Roman. We could lose our jobs. Uh, we could be beaten, you know, for doing something wrong, and so you know, yes, it's very important. But why was it important that he was a Roman? You know, why did they care
2: that he was a Roman? Romans were the citizens of the na- of the world at that time, and if you are a Roman citizen, there wasn't anything they could do to you, uh, unless you were proven a uh, high crime. And even then, they sometimes went the other way because they wanted to dominate the world.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly right there, Mike. Romans were, you know, they, they were the powerhouse of the time. And, and if you were a Roman citizen, that came with certain rights, you know. And, and this man that he's talking to says, the commander, he says, I obtained my citizenship with a large sum, you know, and, and maybe... Maybe that's getting at Paul saying, are you really a Roman citizen? You know, don't offend me by saying you're a Roman citizen because I obtained this with a large sum. But Paul says, oh, but I'm even more Roman than you are because I was born a Roman. So apparently there was a session and I wanted to, Brian, I know, knows a lot about this, hoping he could talk with us, but he's out of town. So, you know, he he knows a lot about it. And I know that there were ways that a Roman or, or a man who was not a Roman. Could purchase his Roman citizenship and become uh, a Roman citizen, mm-hmm. and then there were others, of course, that like all that were born as a Roman citizen.
3: And and so again, you know, in, in, and I was going to say in, in most cultures, being born a citizen is usually treated as a, a greater priority over being appointed or purchasing or you know I mean you know even an American citizenship. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not that they're any less a citizen, but there's something to be said about one born as a citizen. You know, take, for example, to be the president of the United States, you have to be a natural born citizen of the United States. Uh, I think you can run for other offices by simply being a citizen, even if you were born elsewhere and renounced and became a citizen. So there's benefits to it. And and the, and the centurion understood that.
4: Absolutely. That's we see point, in some huh? other places uh, where uh, preachers of the gospel, apostles were beaten, imprisoned, uh, treated very badly, and not a word was said about it. But Paul here uh, is very shrewd uh, in the way he handles this. But it obviously shows the difference between the rights of a uh, Roman citizen and someone who was not. Possessing a Roman citizenship.
1: Excellent, excellent point there, Paul. I'm, I'm sorry, Tom. I for some reason called you Mike, here, but I promise I do know your name and I know the difference between the two of you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I guess I just got mixed up there. But Tom made that excellent comment earlier. Tom's a better look. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mike won't mind taking credit for it if it's a good comment. <laughs> Not according all to the right, so, <laughs> That's right, that's right. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Like what so he's a <laughs> <the> Roman <laughs> citizen, and he brings that not to the attention to the of the centurion commander. <laughs> and <laughs> Sorry. there's something here that has to be done. And so the commander basically says, all right, well, I can't have him bound like this anymore. I can't have him, uh, you know, being scourged. That this is not going to work for me. So he's got to make sure that he's guilty. You know, just because he's a Roman doesn't mean he's above the law. Uh, so he says, "We're going to find out if he actually is a condemned Roman citizen, something that's actually a crime." So then he brings him, of course, to the Sanhedrin uh, and and releases him to there to the, to the chief priests to the council, and he's going to appear before them. I have interesting thoughts on on here on verse thirty, uh, and it might be that you know that y'all have better thoughts on this, but I think that this might be. A better chapter break uh, for chapter twenty-three here. If we started it with verse thirty, it seems to really get into the point uh, that chapter twenty-three starts to talk about. Though, so, without getting into chapter twenty-three, it's kind of hard to talk about verse thirty. So,
3: yeah, you're so absolutely right on that.
1: Yeah, so so I, I think what might be better is for us to go ahead and cut it off at verse twenty-nine, and we'll add verse thirty to the the next outline there for, for chapter twenty-three. Next yep. week. Yeah. I appreciate it. I, it's my first time being able to run one of these truth factor studies. So, work off the rough edges, but hopefully it, it went smooth enough for, for our listeners to understand. But there are a few points we can take out of this. And that is that we have to have our hearts in the right place. We have to be zealous for God. But we have to make sure that we are pointing our arrow or our zeal is directed in the right way. It has to be directed by the Word of God. It is a light to our path. And if we're not letting the Word of God direct our zeal, then our zeal really isn't worth anything at all. And that, that would be a sad thing to let happen. And we have to also understand that salvation is only by baptism, that our sins cannot be removed from us in any other way. And that's seen in Paul's conversion, that even though he believed, even though he prayed, he to be baptized in order for his sins to be removed from him, in order for him to be right. With God. And another point that we might take is that everybody has a different role. So you know, Paul wanted to go to the Jews and he wanted to teach, uh, to teach them and, and and say that look, I changed. You might be able to change too, and that they might accept him. But Christ tells him that's not your role. Your role is going to be better suited if you go to the Gentiles and uh, and and so Paul accepts that. He obeys. And he, of course, fulfills his role better. So we have to understand that even though maybe it's in your local work, maybe it's in the church of Christ, maybe it's something something of that nature, we have to understand that we all have different roles. And so to do your role to the best of the ability is what God expects of you. And then don't be afraid to teach the truth. Uh, You know, Paul would have known that this would have been something they wouldn't have liked to hear you know, that he was going to the Gentiles and, and preaching and, and teaching them the word of God. But he didn't, he, you know, he knew that if I still do that he will be persecuted for it. But it looks like I'm breaking up. Right
0: well, I wonder if Shelton's done. <laughs>
1: Well, it looks like I'm having issues. I guess you can't hear me.
0: Okay. Well, I can hear you through the wall, but you stopped talking, so that's why I wondered if you were done. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I was. Uh, if you can hear me through the wall, then
1: I wasn't done talking. But apparently, my computer told me to shut up.
0: <laughs> well, let me go ahead. And, uh, I'm going to jump in here. I'm going
4: to now. Ahead and close it out
0: all right um well i'm not sure what has happened um or if, if i look crystal clear on the live stream then um i'm going to assume that there's something up either with shelton's computer now or hangout um we we've had some of the guys off and on have looked a bit flaky kind of um you know distorted a little sure. bit and um so i don't know it, it i'm want to say it could be hangouts and so we Hangouts is eventually going away. It's still you know, eventually be going away. At least that's the word anyway. So I'd like to thank you so much for joining us. And we'll kind of get the situation figured out. I'd like to thank Shelton for leading the study. This was his first time, and he did a fine job with it. And I appreciate it very much. Appreciate you joining us for our study today. If you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to leave them in the comment area or email them to us at questions at truthfactorlive.com that's questions plural at truthfactorlive.com if everything goes according to plan we will continue our studies next week and we'll be in chapter 23 we'll pick up the odd chapter break at 22 verse 30 but we'll be looking at chapter 23 thank you so much and that'll be next wednesday at 11 o'clock a.m central time
4: if you're in the eastern time zone that will be at noon
3: 9 a.m. Pacific time.
0: Well, and that's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.